Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service today. If you're at home, thank you for joining us. And to those of you who've come to church, thank you for coming along this morning so that we can have worship together. I want to welcome back today Reverend Ricky Montgomery. You'll remember Reverend Montgomery was with us two weeks ago. And it's a pleasure, Reverend Montgomery, to welcome you back today. Thank you for coming to leader service. The announcements, Sunday Club will start uh, on its regular basis from next Sunday. Uh, it will be the usual arrangement, 11 o'clock start, leave children off at the SPU on your way in, collect them on your way out after the service. Now, an announcement on behalf of Isabel, our treasurer, our local bank branch is closing in Bangor, which is going to make lodgements a wee bit more difficult for us. So if you could help by making your donations in standing order, that would be a big, big help to those who look after our accounting. Uh, if you need any guidance on that, have a word with Isabel at the end of the service. Now I want to express my appreciation to everyone who turned in yesterday to help with tidying up the church grounds. Didn't look as if it needed much, but I can tell you three to four trailer loads of refuse were taken away yesterday. So I want to express my appreciation to everyone who turned in, almost 20 people actually, and a special word to Brian Gartland. Brian organized it and led it and basically managed it, told us all what to do. So it's a massive thank you all round to everyone who turned in yesterday and did a great job. Tomorrow as usual, yes, good idea. And tomorrow, as usual, is Kim and Jim Day. You all now know what that means, and they'll be here at their normal times. Now, Ricky, my pleasure, my privilege to invite you to lead our service. Thank you. God, to come to his house to praise him and to glorify uh, his name. We're going to do that as we sing praise to God now. In the words of uh, Mission Praise 13, as we are gathered, Jesus is here.
let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, so good to come into your presence. We love you and we know that we're loved by you. That you're everything to us and you give your everything for us. And so it's with confidence that we approach you in the name of your Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, have your way in this service. May everything that takes place here today be for your glory and yours alone. In these difficult days, guide us and use us to bless others. You've called us, Lord, to to love you and our neighbor as well. So help us to serve you and in so doing to show love and consideration for those around us, those that we come into contact with in our day-to-day living. And may we be true examples of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us when we fail. But then motivate us to repent and allow your Holy Spirit to fill us and make us into your likeness. And with you by our side, we cannot fail. We will be overcomers. And the church will march on in power, in your power. Thank you for the fellowship here in Ballycrocken. Strengthen your church and strengthen its witness to a world that needs you. And all these things we ask in and through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reading is uh, taken from uh, Psalm 56. And I want to read to you from that psalm from verse 1. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. And because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. Let my tears on your, list my tears in your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Amen. 
And may the Lord bless this precious reading from his inspired word. We're going to praise God again now, and again it's from Mission Praise. It's number 60, God Forgive My Sins. Come before the Lord in prayer again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning on behalf of others who need people to pray for them. We acknowledge that we are sinful and thus unable to do anything until we turn to you in faith and ask your Holy Spirit to move in people's lives. And so we pray for those who are physically weak, who are suffering at this time. Thank you for all those who are involved in the NHS, who work hard, especially at this time of COVID-19. And we pray that our COVID figures would go down and that necessary operations would once again commence. We pray that your hand would be upon those who are waiting for operations. Keep them safe until the necessary procedures can take place. We thank you that you're a God who can touch people where they're at. Would you do that, Lord? Bring your healing. Bring your healing hand and do miracles in people's lives. And then, Lord, we pray for those who are mentally ill, those who suffer from depression, Bring your healing into the lives of those who are suffering from this silent illness 
when on the outside everything looks fine, but on the inside there's that dark place and it dominates their life. Lord, for those who are spiritually ill, those who once loved to serve you, but who are nowhere now, spiritually, bring them back to the fold. Revive them, restore them to the fellowship or wherever they serve you. Lord, on our televisions, we can hardly believe what we're seeing from Kabul. Your devastation of lives lost, the threats being made of violence on people who are so desperate to get to safety. Lord, we pray for calm and direction. We pray for your protection upon so many people in that war-torn country. Lord, bring about peace. Bring your peace into that whole situation. Bring your peace. Save people. Save their lives, Lord. May they know you as Lord and Savior. And all these things, Lord, we ask in and through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We sing uh, praise to God again. Cornerstone, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.
There are times when we have to face desert experiences in our Christian lives. Many people here have been to a desert. A few, quite a few. When uh, Heather and I were on our honeymoon many years ago, it must be just over 45 years ago, um, we went on our honeymoon to Gran Canaria, and there was a mini desert there, and we went uh, to explore the mini desert. And I remember running down one of the sand dunes thinking it would be great fun only to discover that when I was at the bottom in about a foot of sand that it was like standing in boiling water. Uh, For the rest of the honeymoon, I had large blisters on my ankles and uh, above. There again, I had sunstroke on my honeymoon as well. (laughs) I remember being told by someone that his friend had gone on holiday to Tunisia he spent a few days in Tunis and found it very hard to breathe because uh, it was extremely hot. And someone said to him, go and spend time uh, in the sand dunes in the Sahara. So he went out into the Sahara Desert, spent a night there among the sand dunes, and sure enough, he was able to breathe much better. And when he got back to Tunis, he asked the man who had advised him why it helped his breathing. And the man said, well, haven't you heard dunes help you breathe more easily? (laughs) By the end of the uh, first century, the Christian church had grown remarkably fast. The early uh, Christian writers speak of wonderful uh, news of growing churches, ongoing mission, as well as great battles uh, with heresy and from time to time terrible persecution. Now, during this time, one or two remarkable and very strong spiritual figures started to emerge. One such person was Anthony of Egypt. Now, Anthony was a remarkable character. He was born in the year 251. AD. He never went to school. In that sense, he was an uneducated man, although he was able to read his Bible, etc., and uh, was very gifted. Uh, He was very much a loner, and when he was just 19, both his parents died, and he was left with a sister. He decided to put his sister in a house of consecrated uh, virgins and went off to live on his own. I grew up with two sisters, and there were times when I was tempted to do the same. We never heard what the sister made of this arrangement, incidentally, but Anthony was clearly relieved by getting rid of her. He went to live on his own, first of all at the door of his house, where he lived a kind of contemplative life. Later he moved to the edge of the village, and after that he moved to live in some old tombs far away uh, from the village. In 285, he felt called to a greater solitude, and he went right out across the Nile into the desert to an ancient castle called Pispir, and there he dwelt on his own. Well, in a sense, he was on his own, but uh, people would go to see him there because they knew that he was spiritual and that he would... Uh, 
be able to prophesy and his wisdom and healing were so so um, uh, valuable to them that they went to find out uh, from him. He spent many years there until the Diocletian uh, persecution started. And when that happened, he felt concerned for the Christians in Alexandria, and he came back to encourage them in the year 305. And then he went back again, this time into an even more remote place to live. You may be asking, what was the point of this? Why should someone who was so talented, gifted, go off and live in the wilderness? Well, Anthony read his Bible. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He was particularly gripped by stories of desert that you find in the Bible, and he was gripped by the story of Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days. And he was particularly alerted to the fact that it was there that Jesus did warfare. And Anthony and others were very taken with the fact that the church needed those who would go out, who would spend time and do warfare on its behalf. This was one of the main driving forces for people going out into the wilderness, particularly when the church started to become much more nominal. They wanted to go where the battle was. They wanted to do warfare there, just as Jesus had done warfare with Satan in the wilderness before he began his ministry. Now, I don't know many hermits. I don't suppose you do either. Hermits are rather difficult people to get to know if you think about it. But I do know one, uh, or I used to know one. He was a Swede, and uh, he's a kind of hermit. I don't know if he's still alive or not. But I knew when I spoke to him that he used to shut himself away for long periods of time to pray for the church in various places throughout the world. And I remember he told me about the deep and terrible darkness of warfare that he had, he's taken into in his desert place when he shut away to pray, to intercede. A desert is, a, I suppose, a place where we're stripped of material clutter and we start to see spiritual realities more clearly. Now, just in case you want to know what happened to Anthony in the end, Anthony, in fact, did very well. You might think that he probably died early because of living a rather austere life. But actually, Anthony lived to the age of 105 when eventually he died. So there's quite a lot to be said about living in the desert one way and another. The Spirit of God at this time was thrusting men and women and young people out into desert places where they could deepen their spiritual roots deepen their lives. Some went for a season, others went for life, and there they did battle, there they drew close to God, there they dealt with sin and corruption. Now, we might find ourselves in desert places, probably not literally, but the metaphorical deserts, the figurative deserts. And there are certain themes that come to the fore when you think about desert spirituality. And I want to think this morning about one, vulnerability. Vulnerability. One word we need to get accustomed to, 
become friends with in our Christians, Christian lives is this word, vulnerability. Now, if we're all who go on a great touring party today, we take our tents, we head off into uh, a desert, pitch camp there, stay there for three or four weeks. I suspect very early on in that time we have become terribly aware of our vulnerability. We would be made to feel vulnerable for lack of food and water, no shops, nothing nearby, and really having to look hard for every drop of water. And uh, to imagine what it must be like to have the burning heat of the day, be looking for rocks to shelter from the sun, and in the night time to feel so cold because it's so open and exposed, and to feel the vulnerability because all our normal support has been taken away. Perhaps if we're on our own, the friendships, the emotional supports that keep us going, we would feel the vulnerability of loneliness. And perhaps worst of all, and those who live there on their own and who lead a hermit life would often say this, the hardest thing is to, fa- to face up to is what is within us. There's a sneaky and horrible habit of rising to the surface whenever we stop doing and start being still. Maybe most frightening of all, if we're honest, being alone with God. Because for many of us, we find our relationship with God in companion with others. We often find many of our experience of God are within the fellowship, within the church, the conferences, things like New Horizon, whatever, or in small groups. But if for a length of time we're on our own, then we have to meet him face to face. Those of us who want to see the church renewed, who want to see uh, things moving forward, the word vulnerability has not been a regular part of our vocabulary. We're more familiar with words to do with power, strength. And we come for empowering and we talk about great stories of healing and might and great praise gatherings. And I praise God for all of that and I want to see it. But how we need that and how we need to be renewed. But vulnerability seems to be to me much more to do with being in the desert on our own. Being taken to desert places. And we face vulnerability in all kinds of ways when people whom we love hurt us. I should think that everybody here could tell the story of being hurt by someone that we love. The feelings of vulnerability at being let down, of being betrayed, all that Jesus must have felt so acutely when Judas walked out of that upper room. When people we love die, doesn't it make you feel utterly vulnerable? When someone who's been such a support in your life is taken away, or when people are sick and suffering, and despite all your praying, 
all your fasting and beseeching, they still won't get better. And you feel absolutely vulnerable. Or when you get gripped by fear, fear, lust, anger, they rage, all these things rage within us. And they have nasty habits of coming to the surface when we least expect them or want them. Or when we're burdened with guilt. Or the vulnerability when we, f- we feel maybe in the business world and you've, you, you've become vulnerable because maybe your business has gone bankrupt or failure to get promotion at work, or you've lost your job and you feel absolutely vulnerable. And if we had time, we could go around the church here this morning, and I suspect everyone would have a story of wilderness, vulnerability, desert experiences. These experiences of vulnerability are desert places where we're stripped of our support systems and we're left feeling raw and exposed. And there's always a sneaking little voice somewhere which says something like this. Brother, if you were living on the victory, you wouldn't be going through this. We know that one, don't we? And if we do get somebody saying that to us, if you're anything like me, then you usually add anger and murderous thoughts to your list of sins. Of course, there's a very real place for praising God and thanking Him in all circumstances. But haven't you known that experience of being in a praise gathering where everybody's having a real whoopee time? What do you do? Because you're feeling very vulnerable. You're far from that place. And either you act it out or you stand there not knowing what to do, and you feel you're being very judgmental on all the other people, and it leaves you feeling very awkward, doesn't it? You know, sometimes enforced praise can actually have the experience of almost pushing God further away because He wants to come in to our vulnerability. Actually wants us to feel our weakness and our poverty of spirit how good we are at finding all kinds of tricks and devices to actually keep God a little bit distant uh, at arm's length. Oh yes, we believe in the immediacy of God, but we don't always like it. When he comes in and finds us in our weakness and our vulnerability and our sins. Mm. And I think the book of Psalms is tremendous because it feels, it frees us to be honest about our feelings. It was a long time before I stopped spiritualizing the Psalms and realized that people were talking about raw feelings. David was talking about raw feelings of hatred, of revenge, of bitterness, of horror, of fear. Doesn't make all those feelings right, but I he found it safe to expose them before God. And what a wonderfully strong man David must have been to have written all those things down for posterity. 
Thank God that we're, we've still got them, even the horrid bits, because we realize there can be a place in our worship for expressing some of this stuff. Psalm 56 that we read together is one such psalm. It was written at a very frightening time for David. <clears throat> His life was being threatened by the Philistines. And in this psalm, there are two very important principles of desert spirituality. First of all, there's the owning up to where I am, being honest about where I am. Where are you, God? Those cries from the heart, what are you doing in all of this? This mess that I'm in, all the, the mixture of feelings. Are you off somewhere else? Some other meeting? Are you noting, Lord, all the things that are happening to me here? If you're a person this morning who professes rebirth, let me tell you something, the fact you're sitting in this church indwelt by total God. Remember that in the desert, that in the desert places, maybe you say, well, I don't feel very much like it. Well, I didn't ask you if you felt like it. It's a fact. Jesus said, we make our abode in you. We will be in you. How long have you been walking around your house your garden, your street, your community, your world, possessing total God, and he hasn't been able to do a thing through you because you have been over-occupied trying to become good enough to get God. When you already possess total God, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And we must learn to let God be God and to, to do what he wants in us and through us and in spite of us. You know, he does a great job. I've said this before, I can, and I can truly say it again. All down through the years that I've been preaching, my prayer life has been limited. My preparation is poor. The material I give is inadequate. And I honestly feel a visitor, really do to the pulpit every time I come up. And I wonder, how on earth would God ever use someone like me? But I've learned to be honest about where I am. And that is what we must do when we're in that wilderness experience in the desert place. Secondly, there's a declaration of trust and that's very important. It's not the kind of, I will praise you, God, <clears throat> and be on a kind of high whatever, but rather I'm acknowledging the reality of this hurt, this wilderness place within me. But at the same time, I'm going to acknowledge the truth of Scripture and then the truth of my previous experiences which is that God does hear the cry of the distressed. And we have to feed on that, even if it lodges for a time only in the mind. And we may start there, but in time it, it will minister to those parts that feel so hard. 
In the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, we see this vulnerability so much in those final hours before his death. Jesus, who all through his ministry had called God Abba, Daddy, on the cross when he was separated because of sin, he cried out, My God, because there was that barrier of sin which he had taken for us. And God seems to be a long way off. Why have you forsaken me? Russ Parker, a few years ago, wrote a book called Free to Fail. He writes quite a bit about Jesus being fully naked on the cross. And you can understand how degrading that was, the Son of God being exposed in that way. The terrible thing for Mary on the, at the foot of the cross. And Russ writes this about Christ's nakedness and vulnerability. I'm going to quote, read it for you. Christ's nakedness is our call to openness. It's a call to go on loving and hoping even though everything is lost. The amazing thing about Jesus is that the more vulnerable he became, the more he went on loving. He didn't put up defenses to protect himself. He didn't retreat into some kind of cozy mediocrity. On the cross, he loved and forgave his tormentors. And this didn't make his nakedness any less bloody or painful. Yet it does tell us that through Christ, we too can move through our nakedness and our vulnerability. We begin to see that the worth of our personhood And dignity lies beyond mere externals of what others see. And so we can afford to love and forgive. This doesn't come cheaply or without pain. For Jesus, it meant Calvary. For us, it will mean taking up our cross also. End of quote. Folks, in the midst of his vulnerability, Jesus trusted. And he went on loving Surely this is the source of life in the desert, the stream in the desert of our vulnerability to be true to how we feel and to go on loving. Now that may be very difficult if our desert experience is mainly due to somebody hurting us terribly. But we have to keep the channels of love open. The natural, the instinctive thing to do when we're hurt, is to close down and put shutters up. But the way of the cross is actually to keep those channels of love open. Apart from anything else, it will stop us from becoming self-pitying. And self-pitying is a real problem in the desert, in the wilderness. Sometimes when we come into a a ministry where we see the power of God at work in a wonderful way, the temptation is to try to control that power. Many of us want to have controlling access to the power of God. It's not just that we like to see the power of God at work, but how easy it is for us to want to manipulate that, to control it. Particularly when we think God doesn't do it the right way. God will heal. Sometimes. He heals one person but not another. 
But what we want is almost like a slot machine God. We put the right things in, the right techniques, and come, out comes the healing. And when things don't happen, then we feel vulnerable. But we must let God be God and say, Lord, you do things your way. The wilderness place, the desert place for us is the place surely where we acknowledge that God is going to do it his way and we relinquish our need for power. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you again this morning, we thank you, Lord, that you use us in all circumstances. Often we want to be used when things are going well and we're seeing your power being used in our lives and we praise you for that. But Lord, there are those places where we feel vulnerable. When we're in the desert, there are times when all the supporting systems that we rely on are taken away. And Lord, at those times, we need to know that you're with us in the desert, in the wilderness. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that we can trust in you. Thank you, Lord, that those times come for a, a period, but then they pass and other good times and better times come. But, Lord, we thank you for the, the wilderness experience. We thank you, Lord, for what we learn in the desert, what you teach us, how to rely on you, how to keep those areas of love in our lives open to others, even though they hurt us. Lord, just bless these dear people. May they know strength in their lives. And if someone's going through a wilderness experience, Lord, bless them, be with them, keep them close to you. And all these things we ask in and through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, in closing, we sing praise to God in the words of 551 in the church hymn book. O oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end.
may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.